This is Tina Douglas, and you're listening to the Liam Photography Podcast with your host, my husband, Liam Douglas. Enjoy! Greetings, everybody. You're listening to the Liam Photography Podcast. I'm your host, Liam Douglas, and this is episode 266. So in today's episode, I want to talk about a topic that I've gotten some emails and instant messages about from various photography students or hobbyists that are just starting out. And I love answering these kind of questions, to be perfectly honest with you. When I was getting my Bachelor's of Science in Digital Photography at the Art Institute uh, via the Pittsburgh Campus Online Division, I was designated by the school as its very first alumni ambassador. Now, I was also an ambassador for the school while I was attending, and the reason for that is, is because I have extensive technical knowledge about cameras and photography. And it makes sense because I've been doing this for over 32 years, and I have IT degrees as well. So I work in the technology field as a full-time living. So I quickly became the go-to resource at the Art Institute for both students and the professors when it came to anything related to technology. And today's topic is a technology topic that I've been asked about. And so today we're going to be talking about focus peaking, what it is, and how can you use it. So anytime you use a manual focus mode on your camera, it can be hard to tell exactly what is in focus for your shot. Now, you can try to guess using your eyesight only, but you can still end up with a shot where the focus is slightly off. Similar to the way that the histogram guides you to a balanced exposure, focus peaking can help you achieve focus with an overlay in your viewfinder. So what exactly is focus peaking. Well, it is a manual focus aid that creates a visual colored overlay on your scene. Now, on most cameras, the overlay can be one of at least three to four colors. Usually, you can choose from red, blue, yellow, and on some mirrorless cameras, even white. And that's one of the main reasons why it's a handy feature to have is manual-only lenses are becoming more and more popular all the time. And there are companies making manual-only lenses that are incredibly sharp and capable of making amazing images. Laowa Venus Optics is one company that makes fantastic manual-only lenses. Zeiss is another one. You have TT Artisans. You have Seven Artisans. You have Mike. And there are others out there. Rokinon is another one. Now, there's also the added benefit that a manual-only lens can have a super-wide aperture for low-light use and still be a small fraction of what a comparable electronic lens with autofocus will cost you. Now, video cameras were the first to adopt this new technology. But with the advent of mirrorless cameras, now stills photographers can use this technology as well. And it makes our lives so much easier. Most cameras will only allow you to use focus peaking with a manual-only lens, but many of them will allow you to use it with an AF lens as long as you flip the focus selector switch to manual focus or MF mode. Now, some camera makers refer to it as peaking highlights, while others still will call it focus assist. But whatever the designation, it's basically the exact same thing. 
So how do you access focus peaking on your camera? Well, most of the camera makers put it in the autofocus, manual focus part of their menu system. For example, on my Fujifilm cameras, you go into that menu and then scroll down until you find MF Assist. And then in that submenu, you have the option for standard as well as peak. And under focus peak on the Fujifilm cameras, you have white low, white high, red low, red high, blue low, and blue high. And depending on what conditions you are shooting in, you can choose a really bright focus peak, i.e. the high mode. But if, say, you're shooting at a concert in low light or indoors at a wedding in low light, you could probably get by using the low mode, which would save some battery life. At a narrow aperture, such as f22, the plane of focus is large, and a large portion of your image will be in focus. In this case, focus peaking will overlay color on a large part of the image, and this is useful in situations where you aren't sure what aperture will give you the depth of field you want. Now, in the show notes, I have a couple of my images that I captured using focus peaking on my GFX 50R. The first one is the Georgia Guidestones from back when I lived in Georgia, and I captured this image using focus peaking on the GFX 50R with the Laowa 17mm F4-0D manual-only lens. Now, this was back before I bought the Fujifilm GF 23mm. And as you can see, if you look at the image in the show notes, the focus is extremely sharp. And I had no issues capturing that fantastic image. And I was using an aperture of F8. Now, if your camera does not have focus peaking built in, you're not totally out of luck. Since videography has used focus peaking for a while now, most external monitors meant primarily for video have focus peaking as well. Now, the biggest downside is that they aren't the cheapest accessories, but if you find yourself needing a way to check the focus accuracy, you may want to consider spending the money. You simply plug in the external monitor to your camera, access focus peaking on the monitor itself. Now, before purchasing, ensure that the monitor has built-in focus peaking and that it is compatible with your camera. Online camera stores such as Adorama or B&H often have external camera monitors on sale around holidays. So how does focus peaking work? Well, the mechanism behind focus peaking is logical. A focus peaking algorithm digitally analyzes the scene looking for areas of high and low contrast. In the most simple terms, the areas of high contrast are in focus and therefore will have the color overlay. The areas of low contrast are not in focus, so they will not have the overlay. And that's how you can tell apart when you're looking through your viewfinder or at the rear LCD, because focus peaking will generally work with both screens. Now, most cameras have adjustable focus peaking parameters, which you should use to your advantage depending on the scenario. The two most common parameters are the sensitivity and, of course, the color of the focus peaking overlay. Now, by changing the sensitivity or level of the overlay, the algorithm will either have a higher or lower sensitivity to the areas of highest contrast. And this can be useful because some scenarios will not have many areas in focus. For example, if you do macro photography at f1.8, only a small portion of the image will be in focus and a higher sensitivity could be extremely useful in that case. Just to make sure that you get exactly what you're shooting in focus. 
Now, in the show notes, I have another example. This is another abandoned building that I shot with my GFX 50R using focus peaking again with that Lila lens. Now, for this particular scene, I usually, just because I prefer it, I usually have my focus peaking set to blue highlights. Uh, But on this particular day, I set it to red because it stood out better with the outline of the building and the blue sky. Uh, Blue would have blended in more with the sky. So I chose to go with red for this particular shot. And as you can see, if you look at the enlarged version of the image in the show notes, it worked perfectly fine. I no issues and my focus is tack sharp. So it is an extremely handy tool to use, especially if your camera has it available. And again, it's going to save you money because you can buy wider aperture, less expensive manual only lenses that don't have any electronics in them at all. Now, I'm going to take a short break right here, and then I'll be right back. We hope you're enjoying this edition of the Liam Photography Podcast. The best way to support the show is to subscribe in Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or anywhere else that you get your podcasts. If you want to leave comments or suggestions for future episodes, you can call or text the show at area code 470-294-8191. And you can email the show at liam at liamphotographypodcast.com. You can find the show notes and links at liamphotographypodcast.com. And you can tweet the show at liamphotoatl using the hashtag. Hashtag Liam Photo Podcast. And now back to the show. Okay, and we're back. And I'm going to continue talking about the focus peaking sensitivity, which I was talking about before the break. So, in an opposite example, let's say landscape photography at F22, you're going to have a large portion of the image in focus, and a lower sensitivity is going to be more useful so that you can see more of your actual scene rather than just the color overlay. Now, the nice thing about having a selection of colors for the peaking overlay is because some colors might not work well with the scene you were shooting and be harder to make out, just like I mentioned a moment ago with that second shot of mine that's in the show notes. So you can just go back into the menu and try a different overlay color. And as I mentioned before, the most common ones are red, blue, yellow, and white. But some cameras will have more colors than these four. Some offer green. Uh, Some offer more of a magenta color. It just depends on the camera manufacturer, but let's not get too concerned with all the colors. So when should and when shouldn't you use your focus peaking and how do you best use it? Well, if you're shooting landscapes, it's a great time for using it. As with the smaller aperture of, say, F8 or F11 or F22, most everything will light up with the peaking overlay. And this might be a time to use the low setting versus the high, as I mentioned a moment ago, and use a color that will stand out more. So if you're shooting during sunrise or sunset, then red might not work well. And the same with yellow. But blue should be easier to see in the EVF or on the rear LCD. And white might pop even more if your camera offers that color like the Fujis do. So what about portrait photography? Well, yes, if you're shooting a person in a studio or even outdoors, focus peaking can work really well. But if you're trying to do a family portrait with little kids that move around a lot, you'd be better served with an autofocus lens as you'll have a better chance of getting that focus you need quickly. You can also use focus peaking in macro photography, as I mentioned a few minutes ago. If you're doing photography of flowers, as long as there isn't a breeze making them sway back and forth constantly, focus peaking would be extremely handy if you're shooting macro 
of, say, action figures that you are posing to replicate a scene in a movie, like some photographers have turned into a new niche genre of photography. Now, with macro work, you'll likely be working with a very narrow depth of field, and there will be little in the scene that has focus peaking overlay, which can make composing your scene for the shot so much easier. Now, I would recommend trying out your camera's focus peaking with various apertures from as wide as f1.2, if you have a lens that goes that wide, to more narrow like f8 or f11. And see for yourself how it renders the overlay so you can get a better understanding of how it works and how useful it is to your needs. Now, focus peaking would not be useful, for example, in sports photography as the subjects are generally moving too fast and you would need an AF lens for this style of shooting. But if you want to do food or product photography, these are two more genres where focus peaking can really shine as you have subjects that are static and you can vary the aperture for the depth of field you want and get that focus peaking doing its magic, so to speak. Now, I know photography can be confusing to someone that is totally new to it. And many of you that might not think that there that it is, there's just too much work involved guessing if your scene is in focus or not. But with focus peaking, you don't ever have to guess. The camera CPU and the focus peaking algorithm can make your life so much easier if you are, say, a student or a hobbyist photographer with a limited budget and you already have a mirrorless camera. Now you can shop around for the much less expensive manual only lenses from companies I mentioned earlier, like TT Artisan, Seven Artisans, Mike. Now, Zeiss is probably going to be out of your price range, especially if you're a student or hobbyist. Heck, I don't even spend the money on Zeiss lenses, and I, I make a good, good living. Uh, but there's many others out there that make really super wide aperture lenses that can make fantastic images and give your wallet a break at the same time. Some of the manufacturers have recently released F095 lenses, and there's even, I read an article the other day about uh uh, somebody that was working on an, uh, an F04 uh, uh, aperture lens, which you're talking even less than slightly less than half of one aperture. That's incredibly crazy wide. And these lenses are generally manual focus lenses because it's so much cheaper to do a manual focus lens in a wider aperture because you don't have all the electronics involved that raise the cost significantly of the lens, especially right now when we've been struggling with the worldwide chip shortage and shortage for electronic components. If you're a manufacturer that's doing manual only lenses, you're not affected by any of that. So you can still be cranking out fantastic lenses like there's nothing wrong with the logistics aspect of things in the world right now. So give these lenses a look, go to their website, Check out YouTube reviews on them. Now, be careful when you go to YouTube. You want to go to reputable channels like DP Review or uh, Kai W, who used to be uh, the host for Digital Rev TV. He's a great source. Uh, Fro knows photo. Uh, there's many others out there that are reputable camera reviewers, and that's what you want. You want to get an honest opinion from somebody that's actually used the lens extensively in the field and will give you an honest opinion. And since most of the channels that I mentioned don't do sponsored content, especially not for camera makers or lens makers, you can get an honest opinion 
of how well that lens performs. And then you can make a more educated decision before opening up your wallet. Remember to check out the Liam Photography Podcast Facebook group. It is a private group and you must answer a security question to join, which is the name of the host of the show, myself, Liam. And I've also opened it up to allow you to give the name of a previous guest on the show to show that you are a listener. Once you're in the group, you are free to post your own original work. I'm also the admin of the Fujifilm GFX 50R group, which is the largest group for the 50R on Facebook. If you own or plan to own the 50R, you can request to join that group, but you do have to answer two security questions to join that group. You can find my work at liamphotography.net and follow me on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at liamphotoatl. If you like abandoned buildings and history, you can find my projects at forgottenpiecesofgeorgia.com and forgottenpiecesofpennsylvania.com. All right, that's going to wrap up episode 266 of the Liam Photography Podcast. I want to thank all of my listeners once again for subscribing, rating, and reviewing in Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and anywhere else you might be getting your podcast. Also wanted to remind you to stop by the Liam Photography YouTube channel, subscribe to the channel, watch the videos, like them, comment on them, share them out on social media. And don't forget to hit the little bell icon so you can be notified as new content drops. Now, I did mention in the last episode that my next giveaway will be starting soon. Um, I will probably be announcing it either on this Sunday's news episode or possibly next Thursday's episode on on, uh, August 11th. I haven't decided yet. I'm still trying to figure out what the prize might be. But stay tuned to find out the details of that contest. It'll more than likely run for, I'll probably keep it up for like 60 days to give as many people as possible a chance to um, get entries into the contest to have a shot at winning whatever the prize is going to be. So you definitely want to stay tuned to the show for that. Now, on the personal note, before I close today, I wanted to thank all of my listeners, as well as any friends and family members for their prayers and support as my wife, Tina, is going through her struggle with acute leukemia. Uh, She is currently in the midst of her first four-week cycle of at-home chemotherapy treatments, uh, where she has a portable, she has a satchel that she has to wear over her shoulder that has a miniature IV pump in it, and it gives the medication to her slowly over the course of a week. And then every seven days, a nurse comes out to take blood samples and to change out the IV. Now, if the nurse comes on the wrong day, then I'm responsible for helping her with that. So they trained me on how to do that at the hospital yesterday uh, or Tuesday before she was released. You're listening to this on Thursday. Um, So she is doing much better. Um, This therapy is going to drag on for about six months, and then hopefully she will be free of the leukemia. Um, and more back to normal. But I did want to thank everybody for their prayers, their comments, and their their thoughts on as she's going through this. And um, we'll see how things go. Hopefully, everything will be positive. But I did want to thank you guys, those of you that have been kind enough to send messages. We do really appreciate it. All right, that's going to wrap up this one. I will see you all again on Sunday. <music>